Hello everyone and welcome to episode 6. If you are listening for the first time or you've been here since the beginning, deep into series 1 now and again just a big thanks for all of your support. It's really great to see you know, the comments and the feedback and just the consistent love I, I guess for, for the podcast and for the guests and for the episodes so a big thank you. Things are getting busier and busier now with me, you know, with schools back in full flow. But as I'm recording this, it's Easter Sunday, so I hope everyone's having a good Easter, is keeping well, you know, enjoying a bit more sunshine and with the restrictions lifted somewhat, hopefully spending some time finally with friends or or family outside. So today's episode is a really fascinating listen, I think, anyway. I sat down virtually with Mike Brearley to discuss his England cricket career as well as his work as a psychoanalyst. He really does provide some golden thoughts on all things from motivation, leadership and mindset and I came away from chatting with him honestly with a huge sense of pride and honour so a big thanks to Mike for sharing his time with me. So let's get to it then. I guess sit back, relax, grab a cup of tea or even something stronger and let's get talking with Mike Brilly. So a big hello to everyone listening and welcome back to another episode of Let's Get Talking. We are deep into series one of the show now and I'm joined today again by another very exciting uh, guest. Today's guest has been described by some as the greatest ever English test cricket captain and after his cricket career he became a psychoanalyst putting pen to paper on a fascinating book called On Form which I have in front of me today and I've read over the past um, few months. I'm honoured to introduce Mike Brearley at OBE to the show. Mike thanks for joining me. Um, How are you doing? I'm fine now thank you yes. Good. Very good to hear. So obviously at the time of recording, we are, of course, in, an, in another lockdown due to, to COVID-19. I suppose, how have you been, how have you been keeping during, during this time and, and keeping yourself busy and things like that? Well, it's been a very, it's been a complicated time for me because I got a, over a year ago, a year last December, I got a diagnosis of a lymphoma, um, which I had three or four months of, of um, chemotherapy for, and which was successful as far as we know. Uh, uh, And so I was really restricted from seeing anyone because of the chemotherapy from Christmas before last. And then after that, of course, there was was March, April, Mm. the lockdown, and then there was all. So really I've been, I must be one of the longest uh, persons in isolation (laughs) or comparative isolation, though I'm, I live with my wife and of course that makes a huge difference I'm not on my own yeah of course and like you say it's um it's been a it's been a long time for, for everyone I was out on a walk a couple of days ago and I was thinking back to sort of the start of it all yeah but f- obviously for someone like yourself like you say who who went through that in sort of 2019 that seems like a long long time ago um now with everything that's happened um A few of my friends um, and people that listen to the podcast are big sports fans and especially cricket fans uh, among my friends are really excited about the prospect of me talking to you today. Can we start by sort of taking you right back to the beginning of your journey? Um, Was it always going to be cricket for you when you were growing up and in school or was there other options that you you had back then? No, I was quite conflicted for a long time. Um, When I was nine, a story that I, I do remember, um, my mother said to me one day, if you carry on like this, you'll do nothing but play 
cricket and football all your life. I mean, at that time you played football in the winter and cricket in the summer. And it wasn't that she was against it, but I think she could see that I was pretty obsessive about it. <laughs> and my dad was a very good sportsman. He was a good cricketer, footballer, hockey player, swimmer, so and squash. And so I used to go around with him, get him to play with me and bowl at me in the back garden or play catch or whatever indeed, you know. And so I've always been passionate about cricket since I can remember and football at that time. Um, but then later on, uh, you know, going to university, having a certain success at cricket again and, and also academically, and then not being sure whether to do one or the other. And for five years in my 20s, I didn't really play much top level sport. And I was doing a PhD, which I never finished, but which I was interested in. And I taught in university for a few years and then came back to cricket. So it, was a, it wasn't a straightforward simple choice and i think like i've mentioned to you previously i work in a school and with a lot of young people that might be really interested in, in sport or, or anything else but like, like you said there is a lot of um different paths that you can take and twist and twist and journeys your journey of course did lead you to the very top of the cricket world and representing and obviously captain in england um, when I was looking back through sort of your your career, and obviously you've captained some greats of the game, Ian Botham is one that comes to mind. But and I've spoken to a few professional sports people on the show, and a main point of conversation that does come up is sort of the pressure that comes along with being a top level sports person, especially with the instant feedback nowadays that sports people can receive on social media. In the time that obviously when you played international cricket, what pressures did you sort of face and what was the expectation to succeed? Was it just as big as it is today or was it slightly different with the different things that we have in place? I, I, I don't really know. I, I think it was much the same. Um, the difference is social media. And the second difference is that at least at that top level, you have a whole team of other people in the dressing room or around the dressing room psychologists, doctors, statisticians, media people, I mean, not media people, uh, technology people, uh, coaches for batting, fielding, bowling, probably captaincy, managers, assistant managers, you name it, you've got it, dietitians. Whereas in my day, it was still relatively haphazard. You know, there would be, well, for a test match in England, you'd have 12 people, 12 players, you'd have uh, somebody who managed the side, but he didn't honestly do very much <laughs> in the test match. He would entertain the opposition officials and he would hang around a bit and every now and again say something or sometimes useful, sometimes not particularly. So it was really a, a bunch of people, cricketers, who, and in county cricket too, professional level, you'd go around the country all summer by car, uh, Again, 12 or 13 P players. Um, no, no coach would travel with you, no, no manager. You'd just be the 12 of you or the 13. And, and you'd um, make the best of it. And as a matter of fact, from the point of view of captaining, you were given a great deal of scope for better and for worse. I mean, I could envy someone who has a really good coach now to share things with. But I could also see that this can be more trouble than it's worth. And if you don't get on so well, it's more difficult rather than better. 
So it was different in that way. That was the, I would say that and social media were the two biggest differences. That's great to hear. And looking back at, at those times, when you do sort of reflect on your cricket career and looking back at all the, the games that you've played in and test matches and all the, all the other players that you've come up against, what are some of sort of the highlights that if you, if you look back now and sort of reflect that jump out at you straight away in terms of, in, in terms of your career and what you achieved in the game? Well, that's quite difficult to say. And it's such a broad question. And what comes to my mind is one person that I did want to talk about because um, I think as captain, I helped him to be a better player than he would have been otherwise. So there was something about, it wasn't about mental health. There was nothing, I'm not, not in the technical terms, but in terms of improving his resilience, his, his capacity to access his own aggression, his determination, um, his playfulness. Um, I think in some ways I did help him, both technically a little bit, and as I say, there was there, were, there was a coach, but he didn't have much to do with the first team while we were playing. Um, but also psychologically, he was someone, who, well, I'll tell you who he is because I, well, I've written about him and he's a, I don't see him nowadays, he's in the West Indies, he's Roland Butcher, who was a fine attacking batsman but at the beginning of his career, he was a bit touchy and he was a bit uh, liable to get out early on. He, and I would try and, I would drive him around the country actually quite often. He was my passenger, one of my two passengers. And we would talk for long hours about the game, about the team, the players, other players in the opposition, him, me, you know. And, and I think I helped him to be more determined. I remember talking to him about Jeffrey Boycott, who was a very fine defensive, especially defensive and very fine technical player. And I pointed out to him just how, how absolutely aggressive in defense he was. In other words, nothing's going to get past me, you know, yeah. and I'll show you and so on. Mm. Whereas there was something about Roland, which was a little bit flamboyant, a little bit interested in how how it looked rather than the efficiency of it. And, and of course, the important thing was to bring those two things together. He wasn't going to be a Jeffrey Boycott, but he could be a Roland Butcher who could stay in long enough to enjoy and, and flourish with his, his real talent and ebullience. So I, I thought of him because we had these long conversations and and uh, I'm sure that it helped him he became the first I think he was the first black player to play for England uh, during that period of time unfortunately he got a very bad injury in the days before full helmet covering and he got a, a crushed cheekbone which was a pretty horrible thing which affected his eyesight a little bit as well and I think it, that, but that was after I stopped playing, but that was a horrible incident. So Roland Butcher was one. I mean, I'm not saying everyone was like that, but he was like that with me. Mm. I was like that with him. Um, and, and again, I think that was another feature of being captain of a county side is just the time you spent with each other. And actually that leads me on to another thought about, you know, the topic you asked me to talk about, which is mental health. Uh, and that is um, allowing and finding 
some space, mental space. Um, and of course, the time of our life is very different. And when you're 20 or 30, you've got lots of activities, you're falling in love or you're falling out of love or you're <laughs> getting married or not getting married or whatever you're doing. Uh, and you're trying to form a career and you, you, you know, you're full of most, mostly or in a, in often in a healthy way, ambition and social striving and social contacts and so on. And in my age, vast age, you know, you're, you're in a very different place. You asked me what I'd been doing as well during the lockdown. And, and I have been working as a psychotherapist. I work three, three days a week um, and online because of the uh, uh, COVID and because mm -hmm. of my own vulnerability to infection, as, I, as I'd mentioned. And um, so I've been working, but I've also been writing. And that, I find that helpful to me. And it gives me a space in which to, uh, I'm thinking of another book, which might be called A Second Bite of the Cherry. Because of experience, if you can sort of work over your experiences, you get a second bite of the cherry. Mm. And, you know, even if they're difficult experiences, one can learn from them, one can think about them, one can um, possibly come to see bad or difficult things coming a little bit more quickly in the future. Yeah, I think, like I've mentioned, I, I work with a lot of young people and that's something that we try and push towards them a, a lot of the time is obviously creating that space to, to look after yourself and your, your yeah. mental health. And that idea of, of writing and, and creative writing or whatever it may be is a really yeah. uh, good tool that can bene benefit. And obviously, as you just mentioned there, after cricket, you obviously turned your attention to the work that you're doing now in psychotherapy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we discuss your work a little bit in that field, yeah. how difficult was it to adapt? I know you've spoken a little bit before in different interviews and things I've seen to sort of life after the professional game of, of sport. Um, I suppose like the uncertainty of the game, yeah. the anxiety yeah. that can bring and um, how, how difficult it is to find work, I suppose, that fits the skills that you've... Well, I think for had. many people it is difficult. I mean, another thing about that is that you start playing professional sport at a relatively young age, even at cricket, which was is a bit you know a bit slower and not quite so physical as some other games um, almost everyone had stopped playing by the time they were 40 or 45 at the very maximum probably 30, 30s rather mm. so you get to the point in the, i would say in one sense the prime of your life with your family <laughs> children if you have them and so on probably a profession but but in cricket then you or sport you stop and you've got to do something else and it's not only the anxiety of sport, it's also the excitement and the, and the richness of it and the fact that one's passionate about it. And that might, one might be true of all sorts of things in life. It might be true of gardening, it might be true of sculpture, it might be true of, um, I don't know, it might be true of, uh, can't think, acting, it might be true of any number of things. But you don't usually have to stop when you're 35 or 40 and find something different that's probably not going to be quite so, at least not initially, so fulfilling as having done well enough to be a professional sportsman. So I think that it's quite a, and I think that the Professional Cricketers Association nowadays is doing much more in that direction to help prepare people for another, another work, the next stage in their working life, or sometimes another career, often things in the sport, which is often a very good thing, you know, coaching, umpiring, administration, you know, 
um, or any of those things really, or managing managing sports centres, or uh, I don't know, all, all sorts of things like that. So I think it is difficult. I mean, there was a book written by a journalist called David Frith, an Australian, uh, called By Their Own Hand. And it was about the number of cricketers who have either killed themselves or attempted to kill themselves, either while playing or often after they stop. So I don't think it's easy. Uh, and people sometimes need help at that stage. Definitely. And like, I suppose it's it's like anything um, in terms of a transition from from something like you said that you you're so passionate about and your whole life is is um, involved in and just everything is pushed towards that goal. And then when that stops, yes. it's that it, yes. finding something to then cling on to that you're passionate about. Um, yes, or to learn. And I mean, one of the great things about life, to my mind, is curiosity. I mean, as a cricketer too, or a sportsman, you know, why did you do better today than yesterday? What was going on in your mind? What was going on in, the, in your technique? What was going on in the opposition and coming at you? What threw you or didn't throw you, mm. you know? So if you're curious about that and about other people and how they get on, how they get through it, you learn from them too, of course, all the time. Um, and um, I think that curiosity is both practically valuable, but also um, emotionally valuable, you know, because it's um, it's an interest in life and in living the life, living one's life, you know, mm. both with its difficulties and its pleasures. And I suppose that's a good way to to link on to the book that I mentioned right at the start, which is um, called On Form, which is a yeah. fantastic read, by the way. I came across it um, in our school library, funnily enough, um, yeah. uh, uh, sort of a year or so ago. And it draws on, obviously, your own experiences on, on and off the cricket field and discusses this idea of being on form and how it feels to be in the zone. And obviously, you've touched on that a little bit yeah. just there. A lot of people, I suppose, will be listening to this and maybe looking for some ways in which they can improve whether it's their mindset or their motivation to succeed or yeah. improving the different disciplines yeah. of their life yeah. um i'm sure we could talk for a very very long time about that but what are your thoughts mm. regarding on how people can change sort of their behavior or their daily yeah. actions to improve their mental health and that idea of being it yeah. uh, sort of on form and in the zone well it is difficult to talk about in general terms uh i i think that there are two broad categories of thought that I would I would bring to which I talk about in that book mm. and one of them is discipline you know that if you're going to do something well you have to practice at it and you have to get into a groove with it you, know, you play a cover drive and you it has to be grooved so that it doesn't fall apart under pressure pressure or not too much you know mm. and and you have to work at that and uh, work isn't so different from play if you love it because it's worth doing because you love it because you can hopefully uh, improve at it but discipline is one thing and and fitness goes along with that i mean in my day there wasn't much emphasis on fitness and cricket though it was coming in towards the end of my career you know but obviously if you want to be a, a good sportsman at any sport you have to be as fit as you can be because and then you've left nothing less you've left less to chance you have you've always got things to fall into chance, by the way, that's another thing. But the second thing about um, sport and other activities of life is the capacity to be spontaneous as well. 
So that although there's the process of learning and grooving, you know, getting into the same, doing the same thing over and over again, there's also the fact that each new moment in a game is a new moment, a new bowler, a new conditions, new you, different uh, circumstances of all sorts, the match situation, the whole team, your own mental state, your own physical state, etc., etc., and and actually. To find that balance is, is a, a rare gift between, you know, serious, as it were, application of discipline on the one side and relaxed spontaneity on the other. And uh, one, one cricketer I very greatly admired, played for England and Warwickshire and also Somerset, was Tom Cartwright. And um, you know, what was I going to say about Tom? Sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, it kind of went out of my head. <laughs> One of my favourite uh, cricketing people. Um, it's just gone for a moment. It might come back. Well, oh, I know what it was. I have come back. <laughs> he, said, he, he said once, he thought, you know, you learn by from failures, of course. But you, he said, you thought you learnt more from a good, when you're playing at your best. Mm. Because then you learn how to expand your game. And you're relaxed enough, maybe you've scored 50 or 100, you're relaxed enough to not worry too much about basic technique, but you can see new ways of doing things, either, you know, placing the ball for ones and twos or ambitious shots or taking a chance or not taking a chance for a while and just settling in, you know, restoring yourself. So he, he, was, he was very much in favor of learning when you're doing really well. And I thought that was an interesting idea. Mm. So the idea of spontaneity, um, relaxed, relaxed spontaneity, which is very hard to achieve, and the idea of discipline are two somewhat intention, at very best they're not intention, but uh, you know they often are, um, uh, things to aim at though it's hard to aim at relaxation and, and uh, spontaneity and has to be able to let go to some extent oh i read a, in a book i read just the other day somebody spoke about how one of the advantages of old age is that you you might take a holiday from other people's eyes in other words you don't have to be worrying so much about what other people think of you mm. either either in terms of skill or application or in terms of morality or decency or you know you can you can let that go a bit mm. so i think there's something about urgent application of attention and discipline and on the other hand in contrast being able to let that go a bit and trust yourself now, i can say that and some people would recognize it you know mm. and other people would say well, okay, but how do you do that? <laughs> and and it, I, I don't know how to answer that question. I mean, mm. it's a matter of getting to know yourself. It's a matter of observing yourself, you know, realizing that for a period of time, at whatever level you play, you've relaxed. You know, you feel good enough. You feel you're not. And, and you know, so one bit of that relaxation is not being too self-demolitioning, -dem mm. self-demolishing. You know, you have to you have to be self-critical or self-monitoring. It's very there's a big danger of people saying, "I'm not good enough," 
And if I'm not good enough, if I make a mistake today, I'm not good enough. Mm. If I'm not good enough today, I'm not good enough ever. If I'm not good enough as a batsman, I'm not good enough as a person. And suddenly you've demolished yourself. Mm. Yeah, I definitely can relate to that. I play football, obviously nowhere near the level level of professional, but on a Saturday for a, in a in sort of a local league where I'm where I'm living, mm. um, and I joined a team a few years ago. And when I started playing for that team, I was playing in a sort of a new position and things weren't going great I was making mistakes and like I've just re- just sort of pictured it all then and I was so being so harsh on myself constantly and it got yeah. to the point where I wasn't really enjoying it but That's now right. now a few years down the line I'm I'm fully relaxed in the yeah. team with the people that are around yeah. me and performing a lot better yeah. so it was it, yeah. it was brilliant just for me to hear that let alone the other people that are going to be listening to this so um and like I said, the yeah. book, the book on form is a fantastic read. So if you are listening and you want more of an insight and, and knowledge and to everything that obviously we've spoken about, then do go and do go and um, get your hands on a copy of that book. And one feature of the show that we do have is something that we call trip of the week. And that's where I ask my guests for something that might have not gone to plan for them over the last week or so, something that's not gone quite right, maybe a mistake. And that's the message a little bit like what you spoke about there in terms of things might go wrong or you might sort of have a failure, but it's okay. And it's how you respond and sort of, I suppose, moving on to it. Okay. Well, well, I'll I'll tell you what comes to my mind, which is that what I didn't mention earlier is that I've also just had, I've told you, but I haven't said it in public as it were. I've just had CV. I mean, the virus, Mm. Uh, despite having had the first vaccination, two and a half weeks before, despite being very, taking a lot of precautions. Mm. And, you know, it was worrying because of my reduced immune levels and antibody levels because of the chemotherapy that I had, as well as my age. Mm. And it was unpleasant. Um, And um, only a week ago today, the GP phoned, was being very helpful, and said she thought I should go into the accident emergency just to have some tests done. And so I spent three or four hours there. Uh, I went in by ambulance, I spent three or four hours there. <clears throat> I had, a, I had still had the symptoms that I had. And um, it was reassuring actually, because the tests showed that there was nothing unto, you know, un- beyond what they would have expected. And they followed up and Anyway, what I was going to say is that for a couple of days after that, I still felt very unwell, exhausted, uncomfortable in my guts, uh, a cough. You know, it was just not, not good at all. Mm. And, uh, and I realised, and I had been realising in the, in the days before that as well, that, um, um, sorry, it's gone again. Um, I don't know what it was, that I couldn't think. If somebody, if my wife said to me, you know, trying to look after me, if she said, uh, do you want a potato for dinner? I thought, it wasn't that I didn't necessarily want a potato for dinner or did. It was I didn't want to have to think about whether I wanted a potato. Mm. And it was as if having to make some sort of decision or even decide what I wanted was too much of an effort. Mm. Right, so I realized that actually that's how it was for a while, you know, that if I was really, really exhausted, I had, it was as if I, as if I, you know, might just as well lie down in the snow and go to sleep, you know, it was like that. And, and so I, I suppose that was a, a realization that 
wasn't the first time, but it was a re-realization. And that I had to just allow it, you know, and that, uh, and that if I was a bit irritable, which I was, I'm so, sorry to my wife, but if I was, you know, that possibly was, you know, something that I had to, I, even she had to put up with to some mm. extent. So there's one thing, that little thing that wasn't going so well. I think there's, um, thank you for sharing that as well. And, and actually, for quite some time, I mean, by some time, I mean, two or three weeks, I couldn't really read anything. I couldn't concentrate. Mm. So I had to put up with feeling, you know, not my usual self, very, very far from it. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. And obviously, like we've discussed previously, I wish you, wishing you all the best and we're, we're glad that you're you. feeling a little bit better. Um, before yeah. we wrap up today, I always tend to ask my guest another question as well, which is sort of about if you could send a message back to your past self, whether that was when you were a, a teenager or, or a little bit older or wherever it would be, if you, if you could send a message back to your past self, what would that what would that message be it's quite a difficult question uh, i know but it's a good question um i th i think i'll restrict it to cricket and and what i think i would say is you know i i wish i had slowed down a bit more given myself a bit more time uh, and found myself someone who I could really, who could really talk to me about my play. Not only my play, my mentality, but especially both things really, orientation and um, technique and play. And I think, you know, I too easily got into that state of mind we were describing just now about running oneself down. I mean, I can remember one or two examples where I actually sort of just simply talk myself down so I got out you know I don't mean that I did that deliberately like that but that's what happened mm. so I think that whole thing about you know I, one of the things I notice about the very best cricketers now is that they recover quickly from mistakes they play a miss or they get an edge and someone drops it they put it out of their mind and they and they might not completely put it out and they might not do the thing that led to the mistake so much but basically, they say to themselves, you know, I'm all right, I'm lucky, great, good news, mm. <laughs> uh, make the most of it, don't let it get you down. Mm. And I think that sort of that business of how one can let things get, get one down. And I think that's such that's a powerful really message, yeah. Powerful message to send and for people to hear the, uh, the fact of sort of, I think nowadays as well with everything that's been going on and people live their lives at 100 miles per hour sometimes so to have that message of to slow down and um also yes. also recover and respond to those mistakes yeah. and that don't get yourself too down is a brilliant message um before we do go i suppose I, yeah go on can i just say one thing to you yeah it's what, brilliant. what you said about playing saturday afternoon and football team mm. you know these things apply at every level mm. you know i mean obviously not everyone's going to be a professional sportsman who loves sport but this, the emotions are basically the same. Mm. So that's what I wanted to say. Yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you. Um, before we do wrap up, I suppose I can't have you on the show without sort of asking if you could dig deep and, and pick out one career highlight in the game that you look back and you think, yeah, that was that was my favourite moment in the game of cricket. 
if you can if you can pick one that would be great well i suppose the most obvious thing to pick is the uh, ashes series of 1981 mm. when i was called back to captain of the side ian botham had been captain he lost form uh, we lost one test and drawn another so there were four more tests in england and uh, and that was when Ian Botham came back to the top of his form. Bob Willis came back to the top of his form. The whole team came together in a, in a, a wonderfully exciting way, obviously, mm. with a lot of luck involved. But nevertheless, I think that was that sort of period of three matches or four matches was probably the highlight of my career. Brilliant. I think that's a, a great way to, to finish it off. Um, all that's left to say from my part is it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you, um, delving into your career and to have such a wonderful and professional insight into sort of mentality and everything that you spoke about. Um, wishing you all the best. Obviously, hope that you're, you. you're feeling better as, um, as the days goes on. And yeah, it's just been an absolute honour to have you on. So thank you very much. And thank you. And I congratulate you on what you're doing too. Thank okay. you very much. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you for listening everybody that was episode six I was really honored to talk to Mike and I'm hopeful that came across in the conversation really he was such a lovely man and spoke absolutely brilliantly about his sporting career and the work he has done since and I really hope you enjoyed that fascinating conversation as always keep following and keep sharing the show and let's get mental health to the forefront of every conversation that was episode six with mike brearley i'm your host tom and this is let's get talking see you next time